you go down the list, you also have saved by works and water baptism, which would mainly be the Campbellites, the Church of Christ, restoration movement. As I say, our attitude toward churches of Christ generally is in response to those who have been have been aggressively denunciatory of us. Yes. And we don't go out here just picking on churches of Christ per se. If they attack us, if they come toward us, then we respond. Now, I guess what we better do then is since the doctrines of the Church of Christ uh, obviously um, fulfill your standard or definition of what a cult is, we probably better go to that at this point because um, you have said that you agree with parts of the dictionary definition, but obviously there's more to it. Uh, what What is your definition of a cult? Well, uh, Brother uh, uh, Larry here is holding up a little uh, definition that I copied this from Larson's book. As, as you may recall, Mr. Bennett, who was representative of the Church of Christ in one of our TV debates, he mentioned Larson's book, and he said Larson didn't uh, mention Churches of Christ in this book, so uh, I got the impression that because Larson didn't mention them, Mr. Bennett was saying uh, Larson doesn't regard them as a cult. But uh, at the same time, Larson doesn't mention in here the Seventh-day Adventists, which Mr. Bennett thinks they're a cult, and he doesn't mention Roman Catholicism, and Bennett thinks they're a cult, and of course he doesn't mention Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians, and Bennett thinks that they are cults. So it did very little weight for him to say that Larson didn't mention them in the book, and so therefore they weren't a cult. But now, there's a book written by Bob Lawson on the Book of Cults, page 19, and he said that there are two factors used in the evaluation of a group that is a cult. Now, this is, these are the two points that he makes. Number one, uh, if it ignores or purposely omits apostolic doctrines. Number two, if it holds to beliefs that are distinctly opposed to orthodox Christianity. But if you notice here, I have, uh, this is from Larson, page 31, chapter 4, A Christian Perspective on Cults, and he has two contingent factors which evaluate whether a group is culty. All right. Number one, if they ignore or purposely omit central apostolic doctrines. So. These are ignored or omitted, and I think he could have added in there they are uh, perverted. distorted, perverted. perverted yeah. yeah. Then he goes on with number two in his definition. If they hold to beliefs which are distinctively opposite to the orthodox Christianity. Now, beliefs which are distinctively opposite to orthodox Christianity. Now, on this point... I personally, uh, when I look at a religious group or a religious teacher or a religious book, my first question is, what is the doctrine that is being taught under this theme of the gospel? Mm -hmm. What is their gospel? Mm -hmm. What message do they bring to men that explains to men the way of salvation? Yes. Now, Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, I say that any message that deviates from Jesus Christ as being the way to God 
and that deviates in such a way that it misleads people, that it misdirects people, that it puts something in the way of Christ or in addition to Christ or subtracts from Christ. This is a false gospel. You know, Paul talked about uh, someone coming and preaching another gospel, yes. another Jesus, Galatians and 1. another spirit. Now, that is, that is possible. Not only is it possible, but it's going on in the world. Another Jesus is being preached. Another gospel is being preached. Now, on this point here, this is the major element so far as I personally am concerned. Yes. Uh, because uh, if they're wrong on the gospel, then what does it matter if they're right about everything else? Right. And uh, if they're uh, wrong on everything else and right on the gospel, then uh, at least they're right on the major point of doctrine, of truth, of teaching. So on this point here, when I look at the word cult, and we are taking Larson's definitions, for instance, here on this, I find that, uh, at least in my judgment, as I understand the teachings of the Bible, that the belief on the gospel adhered to by the mainline or hardline Church of Christ uh, group is an error because on this point they add baptism to the gospel and uh, from there of course they go on to teach the idea that without baptism you're not saved and uh, then you have to uh, do all these other things they've got their so-called five acts of worship in the church that you have to do and you, you just have to keep going on. And in effect, what they're teaching is what we would regard as salvation by works. Yeah. In fact, you know what's funny about the Church of Christ is uh, they pretty much spawned a lot of the other cults. Back in the 1800s in mm. the United States, uh, you've got the Campbellites starting the Church of Christ, but out of them mm. came Mormonism. Mm. Out of them came Jehovah's Witnesses. It's so one heresy begets another heresy. joined us today because we have a very exciting and important show. Several weeks ago, Dayspring Evangelism Presents aired a program called The Rise of the Cults, Part 1, featuring one of our guests today in studio, Dr. Robert Morey. In that show, Dr. Morey answered the question, is the Church of Christ Christian or cultic? As a, as a result of that show, we have in our studios with us uh, two um, gentlemen who attend Eastside Church of Christ who saw that show and who aired a rebuttal to it on their show entitled Gospel Truth. Now, in order to clear the, to, to the heat and to generate some light rather than heat, a debate was organized between Dr. Morey and the gentleman on my right that I'll be introducing in a moment, Bob L. Ross. Mr. Ross is the director of Pilgrim Publications, a ministry founded to republish the entire sermons and works of the late Charles Haddon Spurgeon, 
the famous British preacher uh, in England in the late 1800s. Mr. Ross is also the author of the pictorial biography of Charles Spurgeon and three books on the Restoration Movement, Campbellism, Acts 238, and Baptismal Regeneration, and the Restoration Movement. Seated next to him is Dr. Robert A. Morey. Dr. Morey is the author of over 20 books, some of which have been translated into Spanish, French, German, Italian, Finnish, and Chinese. He is pastor of the New Life Bible Church in Shermansdale, Pennsylvania, where he has pastored for 12 years. He is also the executive director of the Research and Education Foundation. Some of Dr. Morey's books have been listed in Christianity Today, Annual Best Books of the Year, the Christian Booksellers Association, The Best of the Good Books, and have been nominated for the Best Book of the Year. He is listed in the international authors and writers who's who and in contemporary authors. He is was the chairman of the membership committee of the Evangelical Theological Society for several years. Dr. Morey has earned a BA in philosophy from Covenant College, a Master of Divinity in Theology, and a DMIN in cult apologetics from Westminster Theological Seminary. He's been on hundreds of TV and radio programs and he has spoken at universities, colleges, and seminaries all over the world, as well as here, as, as here in the U.S. Some of Dr. Morey's books are Death in the Afterlife, How to Keep Your Kids Drug-Free, Studies in the Atonement, How to Witness to a Jehovah's Witness, How to Witness to a Mormon, Reincarnation, and The Bible and Horoscopes. Now, on my right, immediately here, is... Mr. George Williams. Mr. Williams is a graduate of Southwestern Christian College and Abilene Christian University. He is currently serving the East Side Church of Christ as the pulpit minister, and he served in this congregation for the past seven years. Seated next to him is Mr. Don Bennett. He has been a preacher and an evangelist in the Church of Christ for 33 years, and he currently produced and hosts, along with Mr. Williams, The Gospel Truth, a live Bible teaching telecast heard on Community Access Channel 32. As a result of the program several weeks ago, this debate was arranged, and in order to uh, present a well-reasoned, uh, well-thought-of, and clearly executed debate, I'm now going to introduce to you the moderator of the debate, Mr. Ben Fletcher. We have uh, time for these men to discuss their uh, uh, positions with, with each other, Then, in 1811, the first church of the history, in these gentlemen's history, the first church that was organized in their background was this one here in 1811, an organizational meeting at Brush Run. Thomas Campbell was appointed as elder. Alexander was licensed to preach. Four deacons were selected. They had a communion service. Alexander preached. Thomas preached. And then this statement from the memoirs of Alexander Campbell, which I have here with me, thus there was formally established a distinct religious community. Now that's where the first organization of the Church of Christ, as it goes back in history, that's the first one they can light on. Now they want to say, oh well, we go back to the book of Acts. 
Well, you know, that's a broad jump from the book of Acts of the 1800s. And I would just like to ask any of, well, these gentlemen or anyone that's alive today and in the Church of Christ, if there was a Church of Christ between 1800 and 11 that wore the name Church of Christ, that practiced and believed the things that they practice and believe today, why in the world did Alexander Campbell and these restorers later go to a Baptist preacher in order to request immersion? And why in the world did they, uh, were they in this Presbyterian church and wanting to have communion and fellowship with the Presbyterians? And then later, in 1815, I believe it was, or 1813, why is it that this church that they had formed requested an identity with the Redstone Baptist Association and were received as a church in fellowship with the Redstone Baptist Association. You see the contradictions here. Mr. Elkins, he claims they restored the church. But what were they doing? Well, they were Presbyterians. They went to a Baptist to get immersion. They organized their church, uh, had earlier organized their church. Then they applied to the association for fellowship. And uh, then, in due course of time, they discover, as Brother Morey will deal with somewhat later, they discover that baptism is necessary for salvation. And yet, they've already been baptized. And yet, they do not get rebaptized again. Their church does not get rebaptized again. And as a matter of fact, in 1823, they were believing this, but it was not until 1827 until they first practiced. To conclude. 30 seconds. All right, I will uh, discuss some more with regard to the so-called uh, restoration of baptism if I have the opportunity to do so, and I'll now yield to Mr. Bennett. A splendid history of Mr. Campbell, but as I understood that our discussion is supposed to be about the history of the Church of Christ, up until the date that you mentioned when he established the Brush Run Church of Christ and became associated with a Baptist association known as the Redstone Baptist Association, he was not at that time a member of the Church of Christ. And I'm sure that you will agree with that. Historically, he was still a Baptist trying to reform the Baptist church as he and his father had done in the Presbyterian church before they came to the United States and before they severed relationship with uh, the Presbyterian Church. However, I'm not here to, uh, to refute uh, your historical data. I just wanted to put it in proper perspective. And I can see that you are a man well-informed uh, on Alexander Campbell. However, I think you said something to the, to the effect that the Church of Christ, now I'm not here to de defend Alexander Campbell no more than I'm here to defend you still being a Baptist. Now, maybe one of these days uh, when you receive more enlightenment that you can leave the Baptist church as Campbell did and his father and come all the way to the truth. Uh, Alexander Campbell was never a Baptist. I said a member of the Baptist Association. He was never a Baptist. And I said he was aligned to the Baptist church. He, Baptist was, never, he was never a Baptist church member. Look, I never did a Baptist not say, church member. listen, I said that he was in the Baptist Association, that he was more aligned to the Baptist than he was He was never in a Baptist church. Would you let the, me? The organization he was with affiliated with the Redstone Baptist Association as an affiliating organization. That's they what were I said. never a Baptist church. And he was never a member of a Baptist church, although he had been 
baptized by Baptist Now, look, preacher. I'm going to say something here, okay? <laughs> and what I want to say is the fact that you misrepresented what I said because I said that Alexander Cameron, at the point you mentioned in 1811, was associated with the Baptist Association. He was not a member of the Church of Christ. He was not a member of the Church of Christ. He was not a member of the Baptist Church because there was no, you, there was no I, Church of Christ. I did not say he was There a was member. no Church of Christ there. Listen. You misrepresented again, and, and on the tape it's going to show. I said that he was associated with the Baptist Association. He was a preacher at the Bull Run, Bull Run Church. And that church was in the Baptist Association. In 1811, they were not in the Baptist Association. They did not get in the Baptist Association, if you look at the book I gave you beforehand, until 1813. Okay. And it wasn't the bull run, it was the brush run. Oh, the brush run, okay. And see, you've got to get your history right. These dates and places and people. Okay. Correction, now, Ale but Alexander still the Campbell, point that I made, the point that I made that I want you to answer is that Alexander Campbell was not a member of the Church of Christ during the time he was associated with the Baptist Association. Exactly right, because there was That's no Church of Christ. Say. There was no Church of Christ. No, no, there was no Church of Christ The Church in of America. Christ developed after all this as a result no, wait, of the wait, restoration. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, Mr. Elkin shows that they restored it, so there was no Church of Christ. That's yeah, why he went to yeah, the Baptist yeah, Association. Yeah, wait, wait. Hey, let, let me explain what I mean, what you're probably trying to say. Now, it's possible that there may not be a church in Austin. I mean, at, at one time. But that does not mean that there was not a church. Just like that there was not a church probably in America, Barton Stone started the movement in that direction with the Christian church before uh, uh, Alexander Campbell was associated with him. Let me finish my comment. So what I'm saying is that Alexander Campbell had a great deal to do with establishing the church in the United States. But Alexander Campbell was not always a member of the Church of Christ. Now, a lot of places that Paul went that there was not a Church of Christ until he went there and evangelized. Are you through? Now, no, but I'm not through yet. Go ahead. Until he went there and evangelized. So what I'm saying, at a certain point in time, you can't point to Campbell and say, well, Campbell is a member of the Church of Christ throughout of all his lifetime. Now are you through? I'm through. Now, <laughs> on, I, I want you to basis. respond to my question. <laughs> Is that the truth or not? On, I'm going to tell you, if okay. you'll let me answer okay, without interrupting me. On the basis of the history that I have read, written and published by Church of Christ Publishing Company. Oh, gosh, here we go again. If you or Mr. Williams or Mr. Morey or myself had been there in 1811 and we wanted to obey the gospel by repenting and being baptized for the remission of sins that they've been discussing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we looked around mm -hmm. in this area or in all the United States or in all the world mm -hmm. for a church that wore the name Church of Christ that practiced non-instrumental music, mm -hmm. that said that we are the Christians of the world, we mm -hmm. are the church, the one and only. We could not have found a Church of Christ because there was not one there. You As a willing to make that Now, statement. wait a minute. I'm not through answering. As a consequence, Mr. Campbell said, well, the closest thing to do, and this is Church of Christ history telling me this, is to find the minister who will administer immersion. And he went to Matthias Luce, a Baptist minister. He That's said, now, I don't want to be baptized to be a Baptist. My position is not to defend any man. My position is only to defend what is in this book, the Bible. Now, I know for certain that Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 18, that he was going to build his church. 
I want to know what church is it that he built. Now, first of all, did he do it? Can or did he lie? That's, Can a, that's a good question to answer, and I'd like to hear the answer to it. As you deal with Jehovah's Witnesses, they will tell you there is only one organization on earth, which is Christ's kingdom. Its headquarters are in Bethel, and it's restored the gospel, and they are built upon the assumption we don't there has to be one continuous, visible organization called the church. If I go to the Mormons, they say the same thing. It doesn't and answer now, my question about Matthew 16 and 18. Wait a second. They all say the same thing you're saying. So either one of a hundred groups who all claim to be the church set up, the Catholic Church with its apostolic and the popes going back, when you have a hundred groups all making the same claims, none of them having a shred of historical evidence to go from here to here, almost 2,000 years, each of them being, quote, restored by a leader, Joseph Smith, Campbell, Russell, Ellen G. White. And you can clearly see from their historians, their men who teach in the universities and the seminaries and the colleges who write the books, that these are the men who restored it. They all make the same claims. None of them have any documentation to say in 1603, was there a Church of Christ without musical instruments that used that name? And the, and the Mormons, of course, used the phrase Church of Jesus Christ. Then I have to come to the conclusion that they're all wrong. But you don't have know. any more evidence for your claim but than the Jehovah's know. Witness, the Mormon, the Christadelphian, or any of the other groups which came out of the Restoration Movement. They say the same thing you're saying. And no. how can you refute them when they give you the same argument? I think that it is most beneficial and practical in presenting the history of the Church of Christ to start with its founder, the place it was started, and its birth date. Uh, no other religious body can lay claim to these three unique occurrences in the history of the Church of Christ. And last, we will uh, conclude with what the Church of Christ is not. Now, point number one, the Church of Christ was founded by Jesus Christ. He revealed his plan to Peter in Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 18 and 19. He said, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Even though this was not to be accomplished until after his death, burial, and resurrection, he wanted his apostles to know that he would be the owner of the church. For he said, I will build my church. According to Acts 20 and 28, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we learn that he purchased the church with his own blood. Now, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the first gospel sermon, in fact, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And the results were that they that gladly received his word were baptized and about 3,000 souls were added unto them, according to Acts 2 and 41. The church had its beginning, and those people who were baptized believers in water, the 3,000, and those who subsequently uh, were baptized later, it says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. 
Now, this is the first occurrence of the word or the church being, in fact, after Christ had made his comment to Peter that he would build his church. In Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, A.D. 33, the church of Christ was started and its founder was and still is Jesus Christ. Well, I compliment Mr. Bennett on that uh, statement and I tend to agree with him. But the unfortunate thing is that he won't find too many of the Churches of Christ ministers or historical departments in their colleges or textbooks. Uh, in fact, I would almost offer him $100 a copy for any Church of Christ historical textbook that he could bring and lie on this table here that would assert what he just said when he said that he believed that the church existed in all the ages. Because those books will tell you, as this chart here, which I've reproduced in my little book asserts, the Church of Christ that was founded in A.D. 33 on the day of Pentecost, which he said it was founded then, they have here that it fell away in A.D. 65, and it apostatized, and then there began to be a reformation of it, and they have listed here Luther and Zwingli and Henry VIII and Calvin and Smith and Wesley, and finally the Restoration Movement with Alexander Campbell, Scott, and stone, and then they restored the church. Now, this was found in a Church of Christ history book, Mr. Bennett. So I suggest that before you start debating us on history, you tackle your own brethren and straighten them out because, see, they're the ones that are telling us this. They're the ones that are telling us that Campbell restored the church. So you straighten them out, and maybe we will understand more about it. Also, Mr. Elkins here, he tells us that Campbell restore the church. So I compliment you on denying that the church uh, was in existence, and I compliment you for saying that it has existed in all the ages. Now, I'm not here to dispute or debate about Christ founding a church. I believe that. I'm not here to dispute when the church was founded. I believe the church was founded. I don't agree with his position when it was founded. He said Pentecost. I tend to believe Christ had a collection of disciples and was a church before Pentecost. And I don't dispute other things. I'm not here to dispute other things that have to do with the New Testament church that was founded then. But you see, your historians, at least those in the Church of Christ that I have here in this documentation, they assert that that church died out. It fell away. It apostatized. And that Campbell came along and restored it. So your debate on that, you see, is with your own authors and, uh, and like I say, I'll give you $100 for every Church of Christ history book you can put up here that will assert that the Church of Christ has existed in every generation wearing the name Church of Christ, practicing and believing and teaching as you do today. Because when Campbell came on the scene, he couldn't find one. And if there was one here, he went to the wrong church because he went to a Baptist Ross, to get yeah, baptism. Mr. Campbell went to a Baptist to get baptism. His father went to a Baptist to get baptism. And then when they wanted church affiliation uh, or association, they went to the Redstone Association in order to have fellowship with the Baptist. I don't understand why Church of Christ preachers who restored the Church of Christ would be doing that if you're telling me the truth. The only rational way to deal with that is to divide up the commands of Christ into two groups. In this chart here, for example, Jesus tells us there are things to do. Things to do before you are saved, 
These are directions given to the lost who are the children of Satan, people who do not know God, their sins are not forgiven, they're yet in a lost state. And these deal with the issue of justification. How can a man be just before God? Deals with conversion. And everyone agrees, be they Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Mormon, Church of Christ, Jehovah's Witness, whoever they are, that the New Testament is very clear that you must repent and believe in order to be saved. Everybody agrees with that because there's so many verses. Now, Acts 20, 21 gives us the gospel plan in a nutshell. The Apostle Paul gives a summary of his gospel preaching. He said, I preached repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that repentance and belief are always put together is because they are one action. When you turn away from someone, you turn toward someone. I cannot turn toward Brother Ross without turning away from you. That's why you have places that will mention repentance, but no reference to belief, but it's assumed that this is a believing repentance. Or there will be places that mention believe, but it doesn't mention repent. John 3.16 says, Whosoever believeth, pantas pastuon. But it's assumed it means a repentant belief. And thus, these two terms, which are one action, they're an invisible, invisible action in the heart, we are told clearly that if you want to become a child of God, you must repent and believe, and then you become a child of God. After you become a child of God, now you have a whole list of hundreds and hundreds of commands. Because you're not dealing with justification, you're dealing with sanctification. You're not dealing with conversion, you're dealing with the Christian life. You're not dealing so much with things to do to be saved, but things to do because you are. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Is that necessary, therefore, to be saved? You have to take communion. Baptism, church membership and attendance, giving of offering and gifts. Wives, be submissive to your husband. Husbands, love your wives. Kids, obey. And the list goes on and on and on. Hundreds of commands in order to be saved. Now, the United Pentecostals, who are like a sister to you, would say that baptism should go on this side of the ledger. Baptism of the Holy Spirit goes on this side of the ledger. Speaking in tongues go on this side of the ledger. And there's always the attempt to add something. The old Judaizers put circumcision. Others put other things. Church, you've got to be a member of our church. That's why in the spiritual sword we have the statement that if you are not a member of the churches of Christ, meaning that particular religious movement, you're not a Christian. You're a cult because you deny everybody else salvation, whereas we believe anyone who trusts in Christ alone for salvation is a child of God. When you turn to the Scriptures, you will find consistently that we are to repent and to believe because these two things are the invisible action of the heart. They can be done anywhere, anytime, anyplace. In the frozen north of Alaska, in the desert of the Sahara, Faith can work anywhere. Baptism, you need water. You need somebody to baptize you. What if you don't have enough? What if you're an Eskimo? You can't be saved. Jesus never baptized anybody. Baptism doesn't save anybody. John's baptism didn't save. Baptism is simply one of the things you do as a step of the Christian life. That's why we never find the order, be baptized, repent, believe. It's always repent, 
Believe, and when you do, you're a repentant believer. And thus is a reality. As a believer, you become a candidate for baptism. The issue, was Cornelius a child of God or a child of the devil when he came to the baptismal waters? Thank you very much. Now, he made the erroneous, the erroneous statement that nowhere in the Bible do you find baptism connected with justification. Well, I gladly remind my able opponent of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9 and following. What Paul talks about, you were the service of sin. You did all of these things that he talked about. He said, but now you have been washed. Washed in what? I want to know what's that, what was it that Jesus or that Paul was talking about they were washed in. You have been washed. You've been justified. You have been sanctified. So I'm calling my friend to go back and do some study on 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, in Acts chapter 10, I will briefly state to you, in Acts chapter 10, we have a situation where this man was the first Gentile convert to Christianity. Peter had to be made ready to even go to his house. He was up on a rooftop and God sent him a vision. And he says, God, I have never eaten anything unholy, anything unclean. And God had to tell him, Peter, don't you call anything unclean that I have cleansed. And so then Peter had to go to the house of Cornelius and there God baptized him with the Holy Spirit. And I asked Mr. Moray, is Holy Spirit baptism for salvation? I want to know, does Holy Spirit baptism save anyone? Since he made an issue out of that, because after this individual had received minutes, the Holy Spirit baptism... 30 minutes, 30 seconds to conclude your rebuttal. All right. And you have to read Acts chapter 11 along with that. But after this individual had received Holy Spirit baptism, Peter said in an emphatic way, who can forbid that this man should not be baptized in water? And he commanded him to be baptized in water. Now, Acts chapter 10 is simply an illustration of where God had to prepare the Jews to accept the Gentiles, and still they were commanded to be baptized. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Scholarship is consistent when it comes to the translation of Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. In Art and Gendrich's Greek-English lexicon, it states on page uh, 229, and I don't have time to open it up. If you have it, you can get it. It's right here. And you can open it up to page 229 in reference to the preposition ace under alphabet F. It is used, and I quote from Arton Gendrich, to denote purpose in order to. And he further states, for forgiveness of sins so that sins might be forgiven. And he cites as text in which ace is used in this way, Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 28, and Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, where this man, who is not a member of the Church of Christ, who is not trying to teach baptism for the remission of sins, just being true to the Greek language, recognizing that the accusative is used there, and that ace with it points forward to that which is to be received, and not that which has already been received. Now he can go over to John 3, and verse, uh, Matthew 3 and verse number 11, unto repentance, and I will tell him ahead of time that ace is a contextual word. If you look at it in, in uh, the lexicon, you will see that it is a contextual word. And it's about 11 or 12 ways that this word is translated. And the context and the case that is used determines the meaning of how that word is used in the text. Now, now those who fight against this plain teaching 
of Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, they vainly make the fallacious argument from the Greek by saying that the Greek preposition ace means because of. And they say that the translators of the King James Version made a mistake. But that's false. Ace in Acts chapter 2 and verse 30, number 38 means exactly what it says. It means for. And the King James Version is not the only translation that translate the preposition ace in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38 as for. Now, I have a whole list of Bibles, starting with the New American Standard Version, the American Standard Version, the New International Version, the New English Bible, the Revised Berkeley Version, the, key, the Revised Standard Version, and the King James Version, and you can go on and on. No reputable translation has ever translated Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38 as because your sins have already been forgiven. did not answer my question, was Cornelius a child of the devil or a child of God, I do need to respond to your program in which you called me a liar, a prevaricator, a lying prophet, a deceiver, and part of your program, which attacked my character and you didn't know me, was that you said there were no Bible translation, no Greek scholars that understood the Greek word ace in the sense that I said it meant in the light of or in reference to. I want you to read this and read, brother, Amplified Bible, this is on Matthew 3.11, which in the Greek is in the accusative, baptism with the A, same exact grammar as Acts 2.38, amplified Bible, baptized because of repentance, Renaissance, because of, Phillips as a sign of, Goodspeed, in token of, Williams, to picture your repentance, the 20th century New Testament, to teach repentance, even the living Bible. You can read in Thayer's Greek Lexicon, page 184, that ace can be used, quote, to mean of reference or relation or with regard to, in reference to or as regards. Liddell and Scott, which is classical Greek, not koine, does say that one of the uses of that Greek word is in regard to. When you come to the Greek-English Lexicon of the New Testament, on page 54, done by Green, ace can mean in accordance with. Or again, Art and Gangren, since you mentioned him, he goes on on page 229 to state that ace can also have the causal use because of, and he even mentions Matthew 3 and verse 11. In terms of Greek scholars, Dane and Manti, who produced the most well-known, well-used Greek grammar in this century, states that it can mean because of, in reference to. When you turn to Acts 2.38, you find the same thing in Kenneth Weiss' translation of the New Testament, who was professor emeritus of Greek. In his translation, Acts 2.38, be baptized in relation to that your sins have been put away. Or Randy Yeager's Renaissance New Testament, baptized because of forgiveness. Or the famous Weymouth translation, baptized with a view to. In terms of Greek scholars, you have A.T. Robertson, who has repeatedly pointed out that the Greek word ace, whenever it's used in connection with baptism, and Matthew 3.11 is a good example, an exact parallel, you have to admit that their ace is not, we're not saying because, we're saying in view of, in relationship to, in reference to baptism. And here, it simply means, according to Dr. A.T. Robertson, Dr. Randy Yeager, whose modern work, the Renaissance New Testament, is viewed in this century as the most careful Greek scholarly work done, or even Marshall's Greek inter, uh, interlinear, all of these things point out that when Peter was preaching, when John the Baptist was preaching, 
And John the Baptist, as you would agree, that his baptism didn't save anybody. It was unto remission of sins. It was unto repentance. The exact same terminology, but it didn't save anybody. And lastly, I think it's interesting that with Church of Christ people, when they always want Bible names for Bible things, they talk about contacting the blood. In what sense do you contact the blood when you go into the waters of baptism? Literally, symbolically, ceremonially? Compare this to Jesus' statement, this is my body, this is my blood. You won't take that literal. And you see, you go and you use verses out of context, you admit the fact uh, that the grammar of the text, that calling upon the name of the Lord is how indeed you deal with your sins. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 does not mention baptism. They were washed in the blood of Jesus. You can't automatically assume wherever the word washes, that means baptism. You have to show me where baptism is used in reference. You can't show me one place where justification by faith alone, through, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, baptism is ever put in to that kind of discussion. You claim that all the saved are in the particular church of which you are a member, which wears the name Church of Christ. Yes. We say that all the saved are those who believe or trust in Jesus Christ, and there's somebody that does that besides those that are in your church. I'm going to ask you a question. Well, let me finish. Oh. Let me add just a little okay. postscript. You see that? Now we believe that they're saved probably if you or go perhaps to, in all churches. All right. if, as I went to the... Church of Christ of the Independent Lot, in Independence, the Church of Christ of the Temple Lot in Independence, Missouri, which is one of the 12 Mormon denominations. I'm not interested in them. I asked them, what biblical authority do you have for your church? They went to all the same places that mentioned the Church of Christ and said, in the first century, every reference to the Church of Christ refers to us. You, you can't, you can't. You do the same thing. Can can you can't prove Listen anything about the Church of now, Christ. This is by Garland Elkin. Let, let me say something. Let me say something. Let me read this. Now, let me say something. There are no Christians... There are no Christians who are not members of the Church of Christ. That Wait, means Baptists, no Christians. I agree. Methodists, no Christians. If, if, We're all going no, to hell. Okay, right? let, me, let me tell you a situation where I believe that there may be a Christian. No Christians. Now, let, me, let me give you a point You're where there may be a Christian. You're the only saved on earth. He might, be a, he might be the kind of Christian that you'd find in a Baptist church. Is he saved then? No, no, I'm, he asking, the the church I'm asking you a question. That's what I said. That's why I said it. <laughs> you may find some apostate Christians in oh, the Baptist apostate, church. Apostate. Yeah. Now, but they're let, not saved. Let, let, me, let me see this. Let me see. Uh, well, they can be, just like but anybody they're not. else. You're the only son. Just like the prodigal son, if he had died out there in the hog pit, he wouldn't you, be saved. Let, let your me, church let me, is let the me, one look, and Will you let me say something? I've said here right. about let, 10 minutes. Let's let the said here about 10 minutes. And listen. Now, yes, we do believe that the Church of Christ is the place where the saved are, according to Acts 247. And you're the only ones. The Church of Christ is the only one. Only one saved. There's only your, your one church. way, your and church. that way is through Jesus Christ, and that's through His that's church. That's why we think because you're a cult. Will you let me finish what I'm saying? Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. I know that. Now, you, I'm, I'm going to ask you point blank uh, what you said. Yes, we, we don't deny that. You don't have to get somebody's book. I would have told you that. We believe that the Church of Christ, his spiritual body, is the only organism as instituted in Acts 2, as was preached and the people became a member of, and, and, and uh, the Lord added them to it in Acts 2, 48, is the only, there's only one, Acts 4 and 4, only one, 
And that one is the Church of Christ. Now, the other point I wanted to make, now, you know, we can discuss that can in I ask debate. one question on that part of oh, your... Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. But I want to go what back to this. What do you do with the 25-plus churches, all named Church of Christ, mm -hmm. in Mormon and other cultic groups, who all say, we are the Church of Christ and mm -hmm. have the Bible name and have the restored gospel and use the exact same argument you just gave? No, no. If they don't adhere to the doctrine of Christ, I don't care what their name is, then they are not the Church of Christ. The name is important, but it's not all important. So, now, okay, the, so just because you're called unity, Church of Christ doesn't mean you're Church of Christ. It's important because it gives honor to Christ as a head. Not John the Baptist, not Martin Luther, not Calvin. Jesus Christ is the head. He built the church. He pursued with his blood. Why should it be named anything else? You're going around giving honors to Methodists, uh, to Day Spring. Who knows what Day now Spring let, is? Now let, now, me, let, let me go back. Let me go back to, to Ephesians 4. I want to get to a statement here. And you said in Ephesians, I mean Ephesians 1, and I want to go back to verse 13 and show you how the scriptures are skewed. And you said read them in context. You did not read this scripture in context. It said, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. The gospel, and underscore the word gospel of your salvation. When a person preaches the gospel and believes the gospel, he believes in baptism. Mark 16, where Christ said, Go ye therefore in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believe what? The gospel, which includes obeying, obedience to baptism, shall be saved. So the believers that he's talking about here in Ephesians 1 and 13 are those who trusted and believed the gospel. Question. And then they were sealed. Now, you just can't believe only. You've got to believe and stop there, just mental sin. As Brother William said, the devil does that, okay? So much that he trembles. Well, we didn't he know. knows that Jesus Christ died and was buried and was resurrected. Okay. Okay? Can I? Two points. One, the Greek says, having believed you were sealed, the point of sealing was their faith. Number two, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, God sent me to preach the gospel not to baptize. Preaching the gospel is something different. So in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, what is the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Right. He was buried and he rose again. So uh, we said two points. One, you have not overthrown the Greek grammar. Having believed, you were sealed. Okay. Number six. two, the gospel can be preached where there is no baptism taking place at no. that time no. because if there's no water there, nobody going to get baptized. But there so if you hey, hey, met hey. Brother George in the Sahara Desert oh, and you oh. preached to him and he believed in Jesus mm -hmm. and there was no water like the Ethiopian found and there wasn't any water, mm -hmm. you'd have a problem with he, he, it. The text he? says he was already sealed with the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. when... He believed. Was the eunuch already sealed? I, I yes, he said, I believe. He was a believer. Uh, so I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But no, was he already sealed? Of course, when he was believed. Was he already saved? Paul said, having believed, you were sealed. Not having been baptized. Uh -huh. Having but, believed, you were sealed. Yeah, but it, but and it's, it's still, not intellectual assent. We showed you in Acts 19 that belief included baptism for those Ephesians Romans 6. Yeah, Romans doesn't 6. include. Acts 19, we showed you that. Belief does not include right? baptism. Belief does not include. Acts 19. It goes on record that you denied Acts 19. You did not show 
that. Design you made, the you made a interpretation point. You showed that. He made a point about Jesus. Paul, he always, the, the first Corinthians uh, one seventeen about Paul not uh, being sent to baptize. Now, John chapter 4 explains that. It says, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, that is a parenthetical statement, and he lets you know that Jesus Christ did not actually get into the water and do the dipping in the waters. His disciples did that. And that's all Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says that the, God, that the Lord did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. Other folk take care of the dipping in the water. In other words, he was trying to get those people away from following after men. And you know that that's the context of that verse. Well, you're mistaken there because Paul specifically named the ones that he did baptize. And it, what, what is his point? Is his Paul point is to show them that, that it's not so much wait, that I have to dip them in the water. Let him Galatians, take care Galatians of chapter 1 distinguishes baptism from the gospel because Paul said he received his gospel not from man but direct by direct revelation. That's correct. But he did receive baptism from Ananias. That's right. But that's so, not the gospel. The two are not the he same. received his gospel by no, revelation is a, direct is from the Lord. In the gospel. But now I want to point out something here. I've sat quiet for all three of y'all to talk. I want to I'm follow up a little bit more mine. I'm majoring on the history part. Now, I understand from Church of Christ historians, and these men can reject them, and I'll accept that as their position, but I understand from Church of Christ historians that Alexander Campbell, although he was baptized earlier by a Baptist, they did not discover the purpose of baptism to be for the remission of sins until 1823, and then it was not until 1827 that a man by the name of Walter Scott put it into practice and fully restored it for the first time. Now, the problem I have with that, based on Church of Christ doctrine, is this. If, if uh, Alexander Campbell, Brother Morey, mm -hmm. and Walter Scott, and Thomas Campbell, and Barton Stone had all received a previous baptism, and then they came along and discovered the purpose of baptism, and then they did not get a rebaptism for the proper purpose. They're not According saved. to Church of Christ doctrine, are they saved? They're a bunch of heathen, children of devil and yet, going to hell. Let me finish my logic here. And yet, these same people who tell me about these experiences claim that these four men and their followers actually restored the church. Now, what I don't understand is how can unsaved men who did not get baptism for the right purpose, restore the Church of Christ. May I answer that? Yes. First of all, I do not believe that they restored the Church of Christ. Well, say you're different with your historian. I don't care. That's a so, man. I'm glad you don't I, I believe. I told you that. I'm glad you don't believe, it, Mr. Williams. I told you from the very beginning. I could feel I don't, well, that we agree on now, that. In first Timothy we chapter agree four. on that that they did not restore <laughs> the Church of Christ. In first Timothy chapter Brother Williams, four. can I say that? Sure. I agree that they did not restore the Church of Christ. Amen. I agree with you. Set up a cult is what they did. All okay. right. We're going to let, let, let me just read this one verse. Let's give Brother Williams a chance to read this verse. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul states this. He says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some, S O M E, some does not mean A L L, some shall depart from the faith. He recognized that there wasn't but one faith, and all through the New Testament it teaches one faith, and yet the world stands up and says, And you, Saint, you didn't have the faith of your choice, don't you? 
No. You can go to any church you want to go to just I, believe I in I spend Jesus. my whole life in defense of the historic faith, mm. which is the body now, of doctrine. All right, there Corpus you go. The body, the body of doctrine. Yes. There is a specific doctrine that all must adhere to in order to be considered in the faith. Yeah, the and Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. No, 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 no. That's no the body Nicene of a historic creed. Christianity. Not no Nicene Creed. That's man. <laughs> what is in this book? For sure. Matthew... On to Revelation. I was speaking That's of formulations of what is was what you Okay, say? whatever man comes up with is an addition. And what you're and saying And if he adds is... to it, then it does, it, it, it's, it's too much. If he doesn't put enough in it, it's too little. And if he says exactly what's there, we didn't need it anyway. And then then you, you don't need to interpret the Bible? Brother you just William quote Lewis it and run? Anything about interpretation. Then you That's have to ask. We've had... Uh, we've now, had I want a, you to see the Bible says... We've had a lot of interpretation. We've had a long and stimulating discussion. Are you saying then that the... You're not going to try to get Are you saying that my... the assertions by these people that the Church of Christ was restored by the Campbells and his friends, that that's untrue? That's what I... I Campbell but did I, not... I wanna, I wanna Campbell did not restore <laughs> the Church of Christ. God bless you. That's Thank right. You. Campbell did not restore the Church of Christ. Amen. The Bible says it's Baptist everlasting kingdom. We've proved right. the point here today. Now, we, right. we, Here's what the Spiritual Sword magazine says. And this again... And the reason I'm referring to this magazine is there is a strong movement or representation of the Church of Christ here in Austin that associates with this magazine. Mr. Jackson, who is a minister here of the Southwest Church of Christ, is a writer and a consistent speaker at the lectureship sponsored by these brethren out of Memphis, Mr. Bill Jackson. He writes for this magazine, he speaks at their lectureship, and I'm quoting from this magazine of October 1976, page 29. Men now living are in the debt of Alexander Campbell for having written and preached so faithfully these marvelous truths. And he goes on to explain that what Campbell and his brethren did was to restore this church that had gone out of existence into apostasy. Uh, let's uh, let's let's each one summarize, and I'll give you I'll give each one of you three minutes to summarize three your minutes. position, and uh, uh, let's begin at, over here. Well, at my left I'm through with Ross. my arguments. I just want to compliment these men. I appreciate their interest in the scriptures. I think they're sincere, and uh, I appreciate uh, talking with them. They've been nice and congenial because religious discussions can turn into arguments. And uh, it's good that we've had these little, you know, banterings back and forth, but we haven't uh, lost our tempers or said bad things about things, and I commend them. That's all I've got to say. Thank you. Brother Bennett. Yeah, I'd like to say that, that uh, uh, I think that the overall discussion has been conducted in a rather uh, congenial manner for the most part. Uh, I think any time you have give and take, uh, somebody's going to be giving, we'll get more giving and doing more giving than, <laughs> and others more taking. But uh, I, I still, in summary, I like to say to Bob that, uh, Bob, I, I don't have any problems with the history of what Alexander Campbell did, you know? Uh, after all, Alexander Campbell is another man. He wasn't uh, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, certainly there was a point in his life that he was looking, as many people have done in the past. And uh, even though Alexander Campbell did great work in the Church of Christ, evangelizing in, in the United States, uh, 
he's still not who I follow. If there had never been an Alexander Campbell, the Church of Christ would still exist. Man. It has existed since the day of Pentecost. Now, uh, like I say, I cannot go to a history book and say during the 15th century, during the time at uh, 603 when they were burning the Christians at the stake, trying to get them on the a Roman apostate religion. I cannot say uh, how many there were, but I know there were. They didn't burn them all, and all of them didn't join Rome. I know that. See, and nor can I say that uh, during the 18th century that there were no Christians in China or Russia or wherever. Okay, I know that Satan is shrewd, and if you would depend on the popular press and the popular historians, how many history books can you go to the university and find the Church of Christ today? So I don't depend on men to tell me whether or not the church of Christ exists. I depend on the word of God. And Christ said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No, I cannot tell you where and in what date. But I believe it has always existed. And I will admit that Campbell was the person and Stone and McGarvey and Scott and Raccoon Smith, that all of these great men did much to establish the church on this continent. Okay. And as other missionaries have done in Africa, as Paul did in Asia. But that's not to say that the church has not existed since A.D. 30. Now, uh, I, would, I would like to make this proposition that, uh, well, I won't do that. But like I say, I, I think that we have been benefited from this discussion. Uh, uh, we appreciate uh, the manner in which it's, it's been done. And I get excited sometimes, so you have to overlook <laughs> that. But that don't mean that I'm angry at you and I want to fight. Okay, that's just my temperament. Okay. Thank you. And then he would be first because he, to be fair, if our side went first and second, then he would be. Then. That's fine. That's fine. Again, I appreciate so very much, you know, the opportunity to talk with each of you. And I can say this, that both of you are very pleasant men. Yes. I have enjoyed your, uh, the conversation, and you have not been threatening in any form or fashion, and I hope we haven't either. And uh, I want to say this to those who may be looking and will view this tape, that in the Churches of Christ, we believe that the Word of God is infallible, inerrant, inspired, and indestructible. We use this as our governing and ruling book. We do not have any boards Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and our allegiance is to him and him alone. Now, we preach and teach what is in this book. And, of course, there are those who differ with it. We've, we've seen that today. And I still believe with all of my heart that the Church of Christ lived and existed just as Jesus said it would when he built it. The Hebrew writer said, you have received an everlasting, undestructible, indestructible, unshakable kingdom. Now, I believe that Jesus saves, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, I believe that he saves us by washing us clean in his blood. Now, and I definitely believe that in order for a man to come into contact with that blood, he has to do what the Bible says do. And there is a pattern that develops. And that is, Romans 10, 17, a person has to hear the word. 
person has to believe. Hebrews 11 and 6, John 8, 21, 24. person has to confess Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And a person has to be baptized in water for the remission of their sins. That's in the Bible. I don't know why men fight against baptism when it's in the Bible. All we're doing is preaching what is in the Bible. I thank you, gentlemen. I have enjoyed it. Thank you, Dr. Mark. Uh, the original inception of this debate is when uh, you challenged me in terms of whether I could come up with any English translations, any Greek scholars. I've given you ten translations, eight Greek scholars. I've shown that ace can mean more than in order to obtain. I've also, in terms of dealing with comparative religions and dealing with the cults for 27 years, want to verify that I have not heard any arguments from you gentlemen that are unique specifically to you. I hear the same arguments from the United Pentecostals, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They, you, they appeal to the same scriptures, uh, to the same situation, to the same lack of evidence, the same names in every way. And I want to challenge you gentlemen to read uh, Brother Ross's books, One Campbellism, Its History and Heresies by Bob Ross. Secondly, The Restoration Movement. And thirdly, his material on Acts 238, I'll never forget this one Church of Christ pastor who really was desperate that I could receive him as a Christian, and he wanted the churches in the community to receive him as a fellow Christian, while at the same time he rejected all of us as fellow Christians. This is why evangelical scholars continue to have a great problem with the churches of Christ, the Christian church, the disciples of Christ, not only do they fight among themselves and cut each other's throat over musical instruments and Sunday schools and mission boards and, and whatever, but they also would cut off out of Christ those who believe in Jesus regardless of what other historical label that they happen to come up with, Baptist, Methodist. The only important thing you've got to remember is that Jesus Christ is what makes the difference. On the Day of Judgment, God is not going to say, which group did you belong to? He's going to say, what have you done with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be, for one day I will be asking, what will he do with me? It's Jesus, gentlemen, not baptism, not church membership, not belonging to the right group. It's that personal faith in Christ, and that means that I could say brother in Christ because you love Jesus. As long as you reject evangelical Christians, we cannot accept you. What is sauce for the gander is sauce for the goose. We must view you as but one more restoration movement that came out of that period of time, one of many that all claim exactly the same thing, all argue exactly the same way, and you can't all be right. And I believe you're all wrong. Thank you for this opportunity of talking with you, and I do appreciate your willingness to do so. And I, I will continue to pray that Jesus will open up your eyes and that we might be able to embrace you, uh, embrace you as brothers in Christ who trust in Christ alone by faith alone. Thank you an awful lot. And I want to thank the four of you. You've been great gentlemen and great scholars, and we appreciate so much your time and your input into this debate. And I... I hope that for those that have heard this debate and have seen it on uh, television, that it clarifies uh, doctrinal positions for them. Thank you very much. And brother, we appreciate your Thank watching you. over us and keeping us straight. Thank you. You're a fine job. Yes, sir. Amen. That's right.
If you like our YouTube channel, please subscribe by clicking on the subscribe button and then by also clicking the bell above to get an automatic update whenever we produce another YouTube video for our See Answers TV channel. Please share our videos with your friends and relatives. May God bless you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. See related videos by tapping or clicking screens.